last week, uh, we, we tried to in some ways get a, as high up as you can. If you think about what we're trying to do over these three weeks, think about it like this. Think of a funnel. At the top of the funnel, you have the widest point, and it's also the furthest away from where everything comes out of the funnel. But as you get down, you get a little tighter, you get a little bit more narrow, and you're actually now going to maybe more practically serve your purpose of getting applesauce into the tiny jar that you're trying to squeeze it into, whatever it might be. That's what we're trying to do. Last week, we were, we were up real high. We were just thinking about, all right, what does the Bible in general say about money. And we looked at all of the verses in Proverbs and broke up into groups and and you did some work in your groups. And then we more specifically together looked at what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes uh, in regards to money and wealth and and really hammered on this big idea that, that loving money isn't a money issue, it's a heart issue. And you can be flat broke and have a heart that loves money, or you can have all the money in the world and still have a heart that loves money. It doesn't really matter how much you have. The heart can long for, sinfully long for money. And that's going to get you into all sorts of issues. Well, tonight, I told you we're going to try to drill this down a little bit, have this be much more practical. Next week, we're aiming to be as practical as possible. So the note cards that you have will actually guide and determine the majority of what we do next week. So I want your questions. I want your feedback. I want what you would like to know because that's going to be the most practical takeaways for you. If you're able to get your question answered when you leave next week, you're going to be able to know exactly what you've been wanting to know. And the way we're going to do this is that we're going to have a panel up here, and uh, Kevin and Laura and Justin and Julie are going to be our four panel guests, and they will be answering the questions. I'll moderate and ask them the questions, and we uh, will have those four uh, collectively share wisdom and, and how they approach some of this stuff in their own homes, uh, along with your specific questions. So as you've got a burning question that comes up into your mind tonight, please write it down. And then please get it to me because I want all of that to be as as practical as possible. What we're going to do tonight is try to get a little bit more narrow. And and my my goal is to try to be specific uh, to the degree that tonight you actually leave here with a packet that you can fill out that will actually begin helping you create a monthly budget. If you don't ever have one, this could be a great place to start. The information that, that we're going to hand out, I actually just told Carrie yesterday, like I want to sit down and do it with these forms just because I'm real curious. I kind of built my own in Excel and, and I'm nerdy and so I like making all the formulas work and, and I'd like to sit down with what I'm going to hand out to you uh, because there's some, there's some guides through there that might actually help us figure out, okay, are we putting the right amount of money in the right places? And so whether you have budgets in your history or whether that's just a four-letter word that maybe has six in it, um, we want to get after that tonight for you and with you. Uh, But before we do that, I'm going to just walk through two basic things about money. We're going to look at our Bibles. If you've got one, go ahead and grab them. We're going to look at two different scriptures. Then we'll pray. Then i got an activity we'll work through, and we'll just continue stepping through this together. One of the things I told you more or less in passing last week 
was that money is a tool. And that's probably the best way to think about money. Because loving money is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. But if you think about money as a tool that helps you begin the process of disciplining yourself to not abuse it, but rather use it, because tools have specific purposes. I have hammers in my house that are not intended to vacuum my floor, they're intended to put nails into things. But I have vacuums in my house that are not intended to put nails into things. They're intended to sweep the floor. You have tools all around your life that have intended purposes. Money is one of them. And if that becomes something that's part of your way of thinking about money, that will aid you greatly. I think there's two primary ways that money is then used as a tool. The first is it is provided for us to meet our basic Needs. Money is provided for us to meet our basic needs. And I want to read a little bit for you, and I'm not going to give a lot of comment here because the verses are just, quite frankly, that clear. But in Matthew 6, 25-23, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food? And the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added added to you. You, the first primary way that money is a tool is it's provided to us to meet our basic needs. God provides money to us through jobs, through perhaps generous gifts from people uh, to provide for our basic needs. It's a tool. And that's part of, in our society, how the Lord cares for Many of the things that these verses that we just read get after. So clothing has a price tag to it. Whether you go to Goodwill or whether you go to Walmart, there's a price tag to clothing. Money becomes the tool or the vehicle that allows you to buy that. Food, much of the same way. Money is provided to us to meet our basic needs. In some ways, you could take that to the extreme and and think of yourself on a farm somewhere growing all of the produce that you need, spinning all of the cotton you need and, and wool that you need to make your own clothes and have your own food. You may not have a lot of money, but the Lord's caring for your needs in another way. He has promised to do so, and money is a vehicle, is a tool provided for us to meet our basic needs. Secondly, money is provided to us to meet other people's basic needs. And some of those little words in there matter greatly as we look at those two different sayings, provided for us to meet our basic needs, provided to us to meet other people's basic needs. 
The idea of money in the scriptures is that it never really terminates on you. You may be given money to provide for your basic needs, but what is left over from that is, is, is given to you to go and provide for other people's basic needs. It's never to terminate on you. You're not the end goal in what the Lord may be providing for you. And 2 Corinthians 10 to 15 speaks so clearly in regards to this. Let's go back to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but to desire to do it. The work he's talking about is the work of giving to other people. So Paul is writing to a church that a year prior hadn't really thought about giving money to anybody. And then he writes to them and he commends them for this desire that's now growing in them. I think there's incredible hope here for us as believers if you find yourself perhaps not even considering giving money away or maybe just thinking, well, no, it's, it's mine and I have no desire to do anything other than just spend it on myself. Well, that's a sinful desire, but the Lord's going to work on that. And here's an example of a group of people that a year prior hadn't desired to do this. But God was at work and he was working on them. So now finish verse 11 Finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. He's speaking to the heart. If your heart desires to give and you're not able to give $1,000, give ten, because that's what you're able to. If the heart is there, if the readiness is there, the gift is acceptable. For I do not mean, verse 13, that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. That's where that statement is primarily coming from. Money is provided to us to meet other people's basic needs so that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The idea there, as Paul writes to this church in Corinth, is that, look, church, as you, as you have resources, they have been given to you so that you can provide for other people's needs. And perhaps those in that body who had needs that needed to be provided for could have been very comforted by the fact that it wasn't, uh, it, it, there was this idea of fairness so that those who at this season found themselves with some abundance would, would give to those who had some needs. But then that might flip and the abundance and the need might change at some point, but, but the heart desiring to give, the readiness of wanting to provide for others' needs was the characteristic of this church, this group that he's commending and encouraging them to complete. So money's a tool. It's provided for us to meet our basic needs and it's provided to us to meet other people's basic needs. It's never intended to terminate on you. It's never intended to stop at your checkbook. It's intended to go beyond that. And whether it's a dollar, whether it's ten, whether it's a hundred, whether it's a thousand, the, the amount doesn't matter. It's the readiness, it's the heart. 
Because loving money is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. And a heart that loves the Lord is going to have open hands. So part of then what we do in trying to figure out, well, how do we use this tool? Firstly, begins with identifying needs and wants. One of the first things that needs to happen then, as you begin this process called budgeting, is identifying what your needs are and what your wants are. And that will change depending on what stage of life you are in. That will change depending on whether it is just you by yourself, whether you have children in the game, whether you've got a spouse. And all of those things look different depending on the uniquenesses of your life situation. But the first thing that you need to do in creating a budget is identify your needs. Part of the exercise that we did was beginning to get after that process and that, that goal of identifying your needs. The second step that needs to happen in creating a budget is then you need to prioritize your needs. If you think through the list, and I will get a copy of the list for you and we kind of give you some work time here towards the end, because uh, I just want to give all of this information to you. Um, one of the things that you need to do is you need to then prioritize your needs. So, for example, if, if we took some of the things that I stood over here in the needs category with, um, I remember it was allowance money because everybody made a comment about that, um, food, car insurance, paying bills, um, a cell phone. I didn't do the smartphone, I did the dumb phone. Um, it, but out of that list of needs... I then need to prioritize them because there's only so much money. And so I need, I need to, out of this list of things that I've identified, wow, that's a need in my life. I, I, need, to, I need to now look at the list and go, okay, well, what's the, what's the greatest need? That goes to the list first. Okay, what's the second highest need? That comes next. You may find as you work that process that something that you might have felt was a need, you end up not having money for so you may feel like you need it, but you don't have the cash for it. And you have to make the adult decision to say no. Because there are things that you have to say yes to. Okay, so you have to prioritize your needs secondly. Thirdly, you need, oh, in, in regards to pri prioritization. Here's just a simple breakdown. I'm going to give you these percentages in the handout that I've got. If you want to write them down, great. These are kind of the average. This is about middle of the road for the handout I'm going to give you. Um, some of you asked about giving. Um, there's a couple things I'll just say briefly about that. And I appreciated Brenda's clear, point of clarification because uh, I'm not at all saying giving to our church. Uh, if you attend here, then I, I think, yes, you need to because that's an act of obedience before the Lord. Um, but if you attend a church, it, it's an act of obedience before the Lord for you to give. And while I don't love the word tithe for a whole bunch of reasons that there's a sermon from last October you could go to our website and find, 10% um, can be a helpful gauge. can be a helpful gauge. The handout I've got for you shows 5 to 15 local church and charitable giving. Um, quite frankly, in my opinion, that is the highest priority need that goes on any budget. Because that, more than anything else, 
speaks to an obedient heart before the Lord. It speaks to an understanding that money is provided for you, for your needs, and it's provided to you for the needs of others. Being willing to generously give to the Lord speaks to the fact that money is not your God. It speaks to the fact that loving money is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. And if you're not willing to recognize that what the Lord has given you, He could surely take, but He has given it to you to provide for your needs and the needs of others, there's, there's some obedience things there. So in my opinion, that's got to be one. The others aren't necessarily in order of priority, but you've got savings, the ballpark 10%, housing, think mortgage, rent, um, you got about 30% of your income, uh, the experts would say. They'd actually say about uh, 25 to 35 in and around that. Um, utilities would then be gas, electric, cable, sewer, trash, all that stuff. Food, 10%. Transportation, 10%. Um, so all of that adds up to 75%, and you're left with 25% after. Yes. Um, that would probably include everything. That will be a little bit more spelled out on the sheet because there will actually, I believe, be a category that lists transportation um, on there and, and even car payments, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's where I, I want that handout to be that helpful for you, that that specific question can be addressed that way. But I would tell you right now, I think that number includes it all. Yeah. Um, so... You've got 25% remaining. What do you do with that 25%? It's a good question. But one of the things that you have to address first before you ask that question is, okay, what debt do I have? What debt do I have? Because paying off that debt perhaps should be priority number two after giving to the Lord. Because debt is an agreement that you had made with somebody to borrow, that if you're not paying that off, you're not being good on your word. You've, in, in some ways, if you're unwilling to pay it off, if you're not ever making strides to pay it off, I think you could press that to the extreme or to as far to say that you've, you've lied to that person. You've lied to that company because you're not paying back what you had borrowed from them that you had agreed to pay back. The scriptures actually say that uh, he who is a borrower is a slave to the lender. The bank owns you until you don't owe them anything else. Because if you don't pay them, they come and take from you what you borrowed money for, whether it be your house or your car or your boat, whatever it might be, you can get that repossessed. Now, debt is so easy to get buried in because of credit cards and how quickly you can access money and how quickly you can spend unbelievable amounts of money. So Carrie and I have three credit cards. We just actually applied for the third a week ago, and we did so just because of the adoption. We got a card that if we do, and the math kind of works out like we plan, we should be able to stay in the hotel in China for free. So we thought that, well, that's an expense that's worth saving. So instead of using our Discover card, we can use this rewards visa card and get a free hotel for the week. Um, and that seems like it'd save us money in the long run. Um, 
I fill out the application. It took me five minutes to fill out the application. They did a, a quick credit check. It was, I mean, it was like the time from the, pay, the application, hit submit, to the next page loading up, $10,500. Right there. Okay, my Discover card gives me nine. My Visa card, my other Visa card that we had gives me over three. So I can, tonight, go and spend over $20,000. You can quickly get yourself in debt. Let me give you some stats about debt real quick. And interest, all that stuff. Let me give you some quick stats. If you took every household in the United States that has a credit card, and you averaged all the credit card debt in the United States, those households owe, on average, $7,500 in credit card debt. Now, if you took out all of the people who don't owe anything, which would be us, we pay our cards off at the end of every month, we have never carried a balance. If you take out all of those people, and you just now average the people who actually have debt, over $16,000 in credit card debt. You can do some math, and there's websites that help you calculate how quickly it would take to pay that off. It, it's, it's a nightmare if you find yourself in that scenario. It's a nightmare. Paying off debt is a huge priority. There's some language that I have found helpful. It's language that, go ahead and write that down. It's language that we've used when working with college students who have graduated with with sixty, seventy thousand dollars worth of school loan debt. Um, it's language from a guy by the name of Dave Ramsey. And the packet that I'm going to give you is from his website. Uh, he uses it and, and describes this language as the debt snowball. And it's a plan to pay down debt. And I've got a quick little video for you uh, that just highlights the basic concepts of this. You don't need to feel like you've got to understand everything. But there's a couple really good concepts that he gives in the video uh, that I think will be helpful. When I was a kid growing up, I used to love being out in the snow, playing in it, having snowball fights, building snowmen, whatever. Now, as any kid can tell you, there are two ways to build a snowman. You can grab handfuls of snow, build him from the ground up like a nincompoop, or you can roll a small snowball around the yard, and before you know it, voila, snow torso, then lather, rinse, repeat, and add two sticks and a carrot. Dave Ramsey's philosophy of the debt snowball works on the same principle. You can try to eliminate your debt handfuls at a time, or you can allow your debt payments to snowball and you can beat your debt down like that pleated high water wearing clarinet player after gym class. Here's how it works. Step one is to find $200 in your budget that isn't designated for anything. How will you find $200? That's entirely up to you. Sell something, sell anything you don't need, like your weightlifting set or your monogram Paula Deen diabetes baking kit. Maybe you need to eliminate your cable TV, dining out, or your 450 a day morning dose of price gouging, disappointingly tasteless caffeine. Now that you have that, your next step is to list all your debts in increasing order of how much you owe. In this example, we have 450 owed to Lowe's for the new grill that you just had to have. 650 for Target for your shoes, your belt, and your purse, the essential matching set, and your flat screen TV. Then there's a $1,600 you owe to your parents for that time your transmission went out on your sweet vintage 98 Accord, and so on. Make a list of all the debts you have, lowest to highest. The next step is where the snowball starts. We're going to pay the minimum payment on all the debts, for now, except the one with the smallest balance. 
for the lowest card, we'll pay the minimum payment of $50 plus the $200 that we found. So guess what? After two months of paying $250, your Lowe's debt is gone. Next, we'll take that $250 you were paying Lowe's and snowball into the minimum payment of your Target card. So now we are paying $280 a month and after a couple more months, just like magic, your Target card is paid off. You continue this process each time, snowballing your old payments into your new payments like Buddy the Elf. And before long, all your debts are gone. So paying off your debt, it is possible, um, but it, it takes a conscious priority decision uh, to say no to perhaps a lot of things that you may otherwise category, categorize as needs, um, but don't make the list because there's not enough dollars in the budget. And so in creating a budget, you've got to first identify your needs. Secondly, you've got to prioritize your needs. You've got to be able to, to understand what's the most important item and then work from there. Thirdly, you've got to allocate money to your needs. You've got to, you've got to actually now begin taking money that you get from your paycheck and, and actually putting that money towards. So that's going to in the initial step, happen on paper. The handout that I've got for you here will, will work through and walk you through that process of the allocating. That's where those percentages come in. So you're able to prioritize your needs. Now you begin to go, okay, well, 10% of my income goes to this category, and you now have a dollar amount to work with. I, I'm going to spend 10% on food, and I make $500 a week. Okay, well, you've got a weekly budget of $50 for food. So you begin now being able to use and, and work with real dollars. So you need to allocate money to your needs. Next, you need to track the money. You need to make sure the money is going where it's supposed to go, and the money is not going where it's not supposed to go. That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part in budgeting. The reason why Carrie and I both had probably rather quickly walked over here in regards to allowance money for mom and dad was because early on in our dating life, we were given some advice by my parents um, who for years, as long, quite frankly, as I can remember, had given themselves an allowance. My dad's a spender. He would save up his allowance, and then he would go buy a stereo, and he would just go and pay cash for it. My mom's a saver. We think she has upwards of several thousand dollars in her allowance account, but she doesn't really tell anybody what she has in it. Um, and it's just kind of this running gag, like, Mom, seriously? And she just kind of smiles uh, because she's a saver. Uh, but we, we watched that take place, and we watched that develop over uh, their lives, and that was advice that they gave us, and so that was something that we did for one another, where I think it started maybe at five bucks, and it might have even been five bucks a month, five bucks every two weeks. I think I was getting paid bi-weekly. It was probably every two weeks. So every, every two weeks, Carrie, here's your five bucks. Tim, here's your five bucks. Now, what that meant was that when I wanted to buy a CD for $10, well, it was two paychecks, and I had then the cash to go and do that. If she wanted to dye her hair for $10, give it a month. She sets two $5 bills aside. She's now got the cash for that. And that allowance money, as we gave that to each other, was money that really, 
we didn't have any authority over the other person with. Now, there have been many instances where we will ask one another if we think this purchase is wise. But in, in many ways, regardless of what the other person says, like we have given each other the permission to go spend that money on what we want to go spend it on. So I may say, hey, do you think it's wise for me to pay for a subscription to Map My Run to get the dumb ads off of the app? And she can go, no, that's a pretty bonehead, foolish thing to do. And I can take that advice or I can ignore that advice, but it comes out of my allowance. And at the end of the day, she just gets to go, okay. Same thing with the hair dye. I don't think she should dye her hair, but it's her allowance money and she gets to do with that as she will. I don't think she needs all the boots that she has, but hey, it's her allowance money. She can buy the boots. What I want to do is I want to give you some tips in regards to tracking. Again, trying to just drill this down to make this as practical as possible. Going to give you then the budget sheets. I'm going to go figure out how to print the one sheet that I had for you, which was the list of all of the needs, wants that were on the screen before with a bunch of blanks for you to add to them. Working on identifying and prioritizing. And that sheet that I'll print out for you has all four of those steps on it as well. But here's some tips. Uh, First, and this won't be on the screen, uh, but first is ask for help or advice before you desperately need it. Ask for help or advice before you desperately need it. There was was a time in our lives that uh, somebody had stopped by our house and had, had come by for help, and they, they had had their phone shut off, they needed to use their phone to call the, the ACE title loan company that they had given their car to and taken a loan against their title for to try to figure out how to get their car back. And what we ended up finding out in our kitchen was that this person was not coming to us for advice. They were coming to us in crisis mode because what they had done is they had realized we need $2,500. We have a vehicle worth $15,000, $16,000. Let's go borrow $2,500 against it. They did. They signed over the title. They gave the vehicle to the title company. They got their $2,500, and then they couldn't pay it back in two weeks. Well, in another set of dollars was added to that and they couldn't pay that back and then the the agreement that they had made it sounded like it was like a three-week agreement and what happened was three weeks after this this woman took twenty five hundred dollars against her suv she lost her suv because she was unable to pay it back because she came and she came to us in crisis mode she never came for advice ask for advice before you desperately need it And I'm not even saying come to me and ask for advice. Find somebody you trust and ask them for advice before you desperately need it. That conversation would have looked a lot differently if it had been a month before. Hey, you know what? You don't need three cars. Why don't you sell the SUV for $16,000 and then you you actually, you have $14,000 left. But they lost it. And this title company probably turned around, detailed it, sold it for $20,000. Made 18 grand profit in three weeks. Not a bad gig, probably not too ethical, but it's not a bad gig. It is legal, unfortunately. Credit cards are convenient and dangerous. Only charge what you actually have cash to pay off. So if you don't have that $10 in your bank, you don't swipe your card for $10. 
Only charge what you have cash to pay off. Along with that, don't ever plan or purchase a present item, so an item today, on the promise of you getting paid a month from now. Don't ever purchase items today on the promise that you will get paid a month from now. If there is an item that you need, wait the month, have the cash, purchase the item. I remember that one being just greened, drilled into my head um, where like I'd want a pair of shoes. And my mom would be like, well, how much do you have in your allowance? Well, I have 40. Well, the shoes are 60. Okay, well, you can't buy the shoes today. But mom, you're going to give me seven next week, and then you're going to give me seven after that. And then I got a birthday two weeks later. She's like, no, you don't ever buy items today on the promise of money tomorrow. Because the promise might fall through. There's no guarantee to the promise. Now, my mom was good for her allowance money towards me. But the point, the principle was, you don't know what's going to happen. So you buy what you have cash for today. And if you need to wait the month, you wait the month. But you buy what you have cash for. So other budgeting tips, we'll put these on the screen. Use envelopes or gift cards to stay on budget. Once you have prioritized and identified your areas of needs, you can get yourself, uh, you can go to the Dollar Tree and buy them, a box of envelopes, and you can write on every envelope food, gas, insurance, rent, utilities, whatever those items in your budget are. Now, as you allocate money to those areas, you then physically cash your check, you come with your money from the bank, and you put your $50 in the food envelope. When you then go grocery shopping, you take the food envelope, and you use the cash that is in the envelope. You run out of cash, there's no more money to left to buy the food, but that will help you keep on budget. A way to modify that is gift cards. Okay, you can get your, get your check, cash it. Let's say, let's say every week your food budget's 100 bucks. I don't know what yours is. Say it's 100 bucks. You can go to Walmart, give them a $100 bill, get a $100 gift card, and go shop for your food. You can do the same thing with gas. You can go to Martin's. You can go Turkey Hill. You can go, I think any major gas station will have gas gift cards. If your gas budget's 50 bucks for the week, you go. Here's 50 bucks. You get a gift card. That's what you use to pay for your gas at the pump. That's a way to modify the envelope idea. Both of those ideas get after not spending what you don't have. So if you don't have $150 for food, and you only have 100 well, you got to do something to keep yourself from buying the extra box of double-stuffed Oreos that you just had to have right then and there because you don't have the money. So use envelopes or gift cards. You can schedule when monthly checks are written so that you, quote, don't see the money in your checkbook. This idea has become really actually a, a big key factor for us as, as we've been kind of handling uh, our finances where we've got, we've got money that we set aside for savings, we've got money that we set aside uh, for some retirement stuff, we've got money that we set aside for um, some housing-related expenses, and then we've got our checkbook. All of those things that I just said, savings, retirement, housing, none of that money is in our checkbook. So when I open up my flap, 
flap to the checkbook, I don't see any of those dollars there. Those dollars are in a different account. And so I can go look at that account to see what money I have in that account. You can do that, that similar idea where you could schedule monthly checks to be written. You can write them yourself. You can do them via online banking. Many of the major banks now have that functionality um, where the money just leaves and it's not there. So you look at the checkbook. You see what you have. Not what you have today, but kind of is already spoken for for the next three weeks. That's a huge thing. Thirdly, build an emergency fund. This is another idea that Dave Ramsey communicates and does so uh, with a great bit of, of logic and, and, and good advice. He recommends $1,000, $1,000 as an emergency fund that, that really becomes a, a high priority until you have put together so that when your, when your brakes need replaced, when your whatever is unbudgeted, when the, when the child gets sick and has to go to urgent care, and that's a $400 expense, you've got money set aside in an emergency fund that is there to cover it. So some of you may be thinking, how, how am I going to start with $1,000? Well, you know what? You start with one. You start with $1. And the next week, maybe you, you increase it. Noah built the ark by swinging his hammer one blow at a time. You start somewhere and you continue. But the recommendation is, is $1,000. Some would say three to six months of living expenses. That's probably more ideal. $1,000 is a great place to start. Fourthly, coupon and be thrifty. Some of you are crazy good at that. Don't forget that even a good deal is still an expense. All right, fifthly, we got two more. Watch and observe. Watch and observe. This one's geared to a lot of what we did last week. All right, marketing, sales, all of it is geared towards one thing, creating desire and meeting desire. So you look at all of the commercials on TV, they're trying to create a desire in you and fulfill that desire. The, the latest Swiffer commercials, they're, they're, it's a little vignette about how dirty somebody's house is. And then the doorbell rings and they walk out and here's the green box. And then it just happens to, they're inside now unboxing it. But did you ever realize the camera crew's inside the house with them? It's not like this hidden camera thing. Like they're in there because they had to film it. And now Swiffer saves the day. So go and buy a Swiffer and have a better life. Watch and observe because everybody's trying to sell you something. They're trying to create a desire and then they're trying to meet that desire. Some of those things can be good deals that you find. Some of those can be desires that are created in you to go and get you to spend money that you may not have. Quite frankly, I think that's most of what HGTV is. I can be a bit hooked, but HGTV is about creating desire. You need granite countertops, you need hardwood floors, you need you need travertine, you need this, you need that, you need this, and here's how you can do all of that. And, and then we're going to cut to commercial, and now we're going to air all of these furniture companies that are able to meet and sell you what we just told you you needed to have. Watch and observe. Don't, don't fall into the trap. Don't fall into the trap. Lastly, and we'll get you some stuff, and yeah, I've got about 10 minutes for you to just kind of begin to work a little bit. Say, no, it's not in the budget. Often. Say it to yourself. 
perhaps even more importantly, say it to your kids. Saying it to yourself keeps you from spending money you don't have. Saying it to your kids teaches them to have and use money wisely that one day they will have. A lot of the examples that I have given you, a lot of the examples that come to mind that I haven't even shared are examples from my childhood where in conversation, in the store, in the car, at the dining room table, having those moments with my mom where she goes, no, you're not buying the shoes until you save your allowance for the shoes because it's not in the budget. Those things have stuck and they've stuck and endured 15, 18, 20 years after they were originally set. Seeing my parents save up their allowance money, seeing my dad go and get the stereo he wanted. And he dropped like 800 bucks on this stereo. Still uses it today. It's a beautiful stereo. And he saved his allowance money, I think $25 at a time. Saved it for the better part of a year, went to Hudson's, dropped the money on it. You know what? That taught me something important about how stereo is not budgeted, but dad chose to use some of his discretionary dollars to save something, and he didn't buy something he didn't have cash for. Those are lifelong lessons. So say no, it's not in the budget often. Say it to yourself to keep yourself from spending money you don't have, and say it to your kids so that they learn how to spend the money that one day they will have. Okay? So let me pray for you, and we will we'll dismiss. And um, yeah, leave your note cards here. That would be great. We'd appreciate it. So would you join me? Lord, thank you for this evening. And Lord, I thank you for uh, these, these men and women in this room. And God, I pray that you would uh, you'd help us to think correctly about money that you'd help us to see it as a tool, not as a God, not as an idol, but a tool that you've given us to provide for our needs and also to provide for the needs of others. So Lord, whether we have a few dollars to our name or whether we may have some bank accounts that, that we get excited about when we look at, would help us to live with open hands. And in recognition that, that you are the one that has provided those things. You're the one that ultimately owns it. And you've given us those resources, those dollars, so that we might be good stewards. And we can use it wisely and we can provide for the needs of our families, but also seek to meet and provide for the needs of others. And so, God, that's a heart issue. That's not a budget issue. It's not a nickels and dimes issue. That's a heart issue. And I ask that you'd be real gracious to us and convict us of where our hearts are not in line with what your word says. God, I pray these tools, the budget worksheet, the the needs, the wants, some of the things that we've talked about the last couple weeks would, would be profitable and would be understandable 
and would help us to make decisions in regards to money that honor and glorify you. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen.